Welcome to the Well-Rounded Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Davis, and I have a great show for you today. Dr. Loran Starr, she is the first psychologist with a DEI PhD, and she does a great job. Uh, we have an outstanding conversation, very lively, very spirited. She's just, uh, just a joy to have a conversation with. You're going to enjoy this episode. Uh, appreciate you listening. If you enjoy it, please tell your friends, uh, share the word, keep spreading the news, and let's grow the podcast even more. Also, if you haven't already, please rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts five stars and enjoy the show. Inclusion is intentional. It's about identifying and removing barriers so that everyone can participate to the best of their ability. Welcome to the Well-Rounded Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Tony Davis, coming to you from the beautiful beaches in Jacksonville, Florida. My guest today is Dr. Loran Starr. Loran is known for transforming leadership and organizational culture by pushing the edge of the status quo to achieve greater employee engagement, inclusion, and diversity. Being the first inclusion and diversity psychologist in the United States, her focus is evidence-based inclusion, diversity, and equality. For 20-plus years, Loran has successfully raised the DEI bar by spearheading impactful and measurable change within organizations by elevating corporate vision and developing strategic roadmaps to achieve greater inclusion and diversity. Oh, and she enjoys red wine just as much as she loves keeping workspaces inclusive. In today's lively conversation, Loran and I talk about why companies are missing the DEI mark by putting diversity before inclusivity. And we discuss this idealistic notion out there that meritocracy and pay for performance are antiquated in today's workplace. Loran and I have a great time with today's topics, and I know you'll love the episode. Welcome to the Well-Rounded Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Tony Davis, and my guest today is Dr. Loran Starr, um, and I'm so excited to have you. Uh, welcome to the Well-Rounded Leaders Podcast. Hey, Tony, thanks for having me. Hello to your audience. Yes, yes, and I'm particularly excited to talk about this particular topic, because if there's any topic right now that's moving the needle, um, it's, it's uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. And you know what? I think you said it beautifully, moving the needle. Um, We're in a stalled needle phase now where organizations are focused on diversity first, and that does not move the needle. Exactly. And we'll, we'll dive into all that too. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit about how you became a subject matter expert in this area. I'm looking forward to kind of getting to know you here. Yeah, crazy, crazy journal, uh, journey rather. I spent uh, 15 years in the corporate world. I uh, have my master's in industrial organizational psychology and then started my own consulting firm. And when I did that, it was my clients actually who stepped up and said, hey, you really need to be doing diversity, equity and inclusion because you have no problem challenging the status quo. So. I started really doing a deep dive into it in 2000, in early 2000, and then uh, my consulting firm working with companies focusing on inclusion first. So I was doing DEI before it was cool, mm. and then from there I recognized that I, I needed more education. Um, so I am the first PhD in the United States that holds a degree, holds her doctorate 
in industrial organizational psychology with a specialization in DE and I. Wow. So, yeah, I yes, feel, I go for that. And yeah. I feel special. I have a one and only on the you podcast. One and only. I don't know if anyone else has graduated yet with that degree. Well, Remember let's just that say they haven't. They haven't. The general <laughs> population or global population, only 7% hold a PhD. So I, I'm, I'm really in that spot. And I just, you know, I think looking at the education and doing the deep dives, it was validating for me because I always focused on inclusion first. Mm. And that's what the data shows. The data, there's no data focusing on diversity first, but there is data focusing on inclusion first. And you know, prior to all of this, I was in the military. Mm-hmm. So I was in the army, a trauma medic, um, served in the Gulf War. Thank you for your service. And they have what I like to call forced inclusion. You don't have a choice who's standing next to you. So you better figure out how to work with them. And really, that's where my framework came from, was how did we do it in the military? Because they are very successful at implementing projects and plans. Mm-hmm. and strategy and and bringing in you know that inclusive culture that you have the best and brightest minds um solving problems regardless of socioeconomic backgrounds so yeah it was pretty cool and then you know here i am now 2023 20, still doing dei but really focusing in on that inclusion and it's it for me it's all about evidence based because it seems like mm-hmm. Businesses have just been throwing DEI at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. And well, the difference between, I think, what you were referring to, the good aspect of diversity within the military, is because it's not forced. It's it happens, right? It happens. And that's yeah, why and, and that's why it works. But now, in today's day, it's it's being forced and mm-hmm. by corporations. It's being made uh to be put out front look at us we're champions of diversity and it's uh it's placating it's 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 Mm -hmm. it's window dressing i feel yeah no no i agree with you organizations uh you know the organizations i go into and i work with i hear time and time again we want to improve you know women in leadership roles or people of color and i'm like that's two affinities of the bazillion affinities out there Mm. Like, and, and really that's, that is the wrong approach. I'm sorry. If you have corporate leaders that are listening right now, which I'm sure you do call me uh, because that <laughs> is the wrong approach. You know, we should be focusing on all, inclu- right. All diversities, all affinities. And Hey, at the end of the day, all diversity does for an organization. The only thing diversity does is diversity of thought. Mm. That's it. All the benefits that you're hearing mm-hmm. about diversity, ah, that's when there's an inclusive foundation. It takes the benefits of an inclusion of inclusion and it increases it three or four points. That's it. Because even if with even with diversity, and and, and if I heard you right, diversity of thought is what we're, we really should be shooting for as an organization. That's what we want. But if we yeah. have to, if if we're just doing diversity for the sake of diversity, that doesn't guarantee diversity of thought because it. it after- yeah, absolutely the opposite. Because you and I, we are both white. I mean, but doesn't mean we think the same. Not at all. You know, not that not anybody. Not at all. Yeah. So it, just because you have, you know, if a corporation shooting for X percentage of this ethnic, ethnicity or 
you know, mm-hmm. that, that word. Uh, that word. Then what you're doing, you're almost creating the opposite of what you're hoping to accomplish because then you're, you could, by not putting inclusion first, mm-hmm. but you put diversity first, now you're creating clicks fast, you know, uh, yeah. you know, you, you're, you're accomplishing, it's, it's an exercise in futility and you're actually going backwards. Absolutely. If you focus on diversity first, you can create a workforce. If you do not have inclusion as your foundation, you will create a workforce that is an us versus them. Oh, mm-hmm. that person got promoted because not because of skill or talent, but because of their affinities. Um, and you also create, right, those organizations, and the data supports me here, um, the organizations that focus on diversity first and do not have inclusion have what I like to call the revolving door. They have very high turnover. Mm. Because the last thing, uh, a woman, uh, a man, a person of color, anyone, the last Mm. thing anyone wants in an organization is not to be heard. You Mm. can't hear me. I don't have a place here. So you could have all the diversity in the world, but if it's still a, you know, we're just, it's, we're, we're ruling from the top down and -hmm. and we don't really, Hey, y'all are just here for diversity's sake. We don't really want your input. Did you see that a lot? Oh yeah. And weren't we doing this in the nineties? I mean, look, if diversity first worked, Mm. we wouldn't be having this conversation, Tony. Organizations have been putting diversity first for the past 60 years, six zero years. They've been putting diversity first and nothing has changed. No. So, so when, when they, okay. So, so walk me through this. So then they reach out to you after they have all this diversity and they say, okay, no, we're not, nobody's working together. We don't have inclusion. Now, how how do we have inclusion? Well, your culture is diversity. Inclusion is a whole other culture. We have to tear down one culture. And we, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's that, you know, to put it, I'm just kind of putting it in my layman's terms, but, but how do you fix inclusion once you have a diversity that's gone awry? Yeah. And then, and, and there's so many problems when you have diversity going awry, how do you step in and now build an inclusive foundation first, then the inclusive culture while driving your Diversity, look, your talent brand and your culture brand have already taken a huge ding. Mm. It's like it's like you need to apply the brakes and do something very strategic and very insight for all of the employees. Mm. And that's hard to do. That is hard to do. I will say um, in my 20 years consulting, anytime an organization called me in and their complaint was, turnover Mm. we have we have turnover or conflict it all boiled down to an inclusive culture the lack thereof Mm. but were they because because of the focus on diversity or just not because of the focus on diversity Mm. yeah we're focusing so much attention so much energy on making sure we have women in in leadership positions but did anyone ever stop and wonder if they want those positions or people of color or right or disability those that are in disability hell i'm a veteran mm. uh, and as a veteran has anyone stopped and asked me hey do you want senior leadership nobody's asking those questions what they're doing is saying all right we want x amount of women we want x amount of people of color and have at it but there there's no value there 
So if that creates a, a chasm within within leadership ah. within leadership, that could almost have the you know when you get promoted, you want to feel a sense of worth. You want to feel a sense of accomplishment. You want to feel a sense of pride because hey, I busted my ass and look, I just got promoted. Whereas if you get promoted based on something you can't control, skin color, um, gender, um, ethnicity, whatever it may be, it almost is it almost can do the exact opposite of what a promotion should do for you. Yeah. I had one executive client I was working with. This goes back about 10 years ago. We're still seeing this. Mm. Um, And she called me and she said, I cannot get anything moving within the organization. I'm a senior vice president, recently promoted. And I said, well, tell me more about the position. And she said, you know, senior vice president, recently promoted, first female vice president Mm -hmm. at the organization. As soon as I heard first female, my thought was tokenism. Mm. So I said, well, why did you get promoted? So she listed all the reasons why she believed she was promoted. I said, I'm curious as to what your male colleagues would have to say about that. And she went back and she asked him and yeah, tokenism. She came Mm. back. She goes, oh my God, they don't, they don't see what I bring to the table. I'm like, so how do we then educate those at the table what you bring to the table how do you do that that's a great that's a challenge right there because she doesn't have respect no she has bitterness animosity um Mm -hmm. you have now that's going to create um backstabbing and and divisiveness behind the scenes Mm -hmm. um how do you fix that how do you fix that? So I, you know, one of the tools that we we utilized is doing um, an all about me presentation day, right? It's like getting to know your teams. It, it's like interviewing the entire team. So every leader, all of the SVPs had to get up and make a five minute statement about themselves in this workplace and what they bring to the table. And this kind of level set where everyone was. Now we know what everybody brings to the table, specifically the mm. female in the room. So she, so you almost, it's almost, yeah, that gave them an opportunity to kind of win each other over. But, yeah. But it shouldn't have had to happen that way. It shouldn't have had to happen. But, you know, this was 10 years ago, mm. still I, happening today. But, you, it is what it is. It shouldn't have to happen, but unfortunately we don't have a choice right now. So yeah, everybody went around the room and then we talked about why having different thoughts, different perspectives on issues, why that matters, not focusing on just the female, because there were a couple of Asian gentlemen and mm-hmm. uh, two, uh, two Hispanic gentlemen. Right? So there was a little bit of ethnic diversity. There was just no gender diversity or disabilities or veterans. Right? <laughs> But yeah, and and it, it really was talking about that those diverse perspectives, how critical those are in business. And I, I and we're talking about just kind of a, a white collar business professional type environment. But I remember back in the summer of 2020 um, when we had some racial divide over an incident that happened up in Minnesota, and we yep. uh, and an airline came out. A couple months later, uh, I believe it was United. And they said, we feel we have to mm-hmm. have our pilots look like our passengers. So now we are going to have a diverse pilot um, 
a, a yeah. group of people. Well, okay. Well, I, I, as a passenger, I'm like, okay, so <laughs> isn't the goal to, to, is safety, right? You mean I, you got yeah. about 250 lives and, and great. If, if diversity is going after the best person, then, then that would be great. But mm-hmm. if we're just going to fill a quota, are, what are we sacrificing? Are we sacrificing safety? Are we sacrificing customer service? If this is a hospital and they want to start hiring doctors and maybe they do heart surgery. Are, mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, what, you know, so by forcing diversity, there's a, we're just talking about cohesiveness and we're talking about office dynamic. Well, let's look at the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin could be what, what does that mean to the consumer? What could that mean to, to other things that are a little bit more important than office dynamic, kind of like surviving a flight? Yeah, which is kind of important. Kind of important. <laughs> kind of important. You know, of the Why things. I pay the exuberant fees. I want to land. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously, I know your thoughts are, I mean, you, you, you know, that's, that's, again, the problem of putting the D first. That's the problem with putting the D first, but it goes even, it, it goes even further than that. Right. When you put the D first, what does it do to the E? See, I don't what even is, know what the E is. I don't. I mean, right? let's, let's talk about the E. Does anybody know what the E? You always hear about diversity and inclusion, but then you got that E in there, and, and the E stands for equity. In fact, I had one of my clients, we were talking about this, uh, and, and they asked me, well, what's the E anyway? Is equality? And I go, no, I think it's equity. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, they asked me, well, what is that? I go, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I know what diversity is. I know what inclusion is. I guess equity is we just got to treat everybody equal. I, 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 and that might have to do with pay. That might, I don't know. But your guess is as good as mine. Where does yeah. it, so where does the E fit in? Right, the E, well, yeah. when you put diversity first, it dings your equity. So the, so the E stands for equity. Uh-huh. However, and I, yeah, I say this to your audience, in my opinion, based on the data that I'm reading, I'm not quite sure it should be equity. And yes, send me hate mail, I know. Um, equity is providing the tools needed for each individual to thrive in the workplace. So equality, everybody gets the same thing, Mm, right? So we create a leadership development program in the workplace and equality, everybody has access to it. Okay. Now, not everybody's ready for it. Equity then says, okay, if we put the diversity first and we want to get more people of color in leadership, what are the gaps in our employee talent pool of people of color, where are their gaps? And let's create specific programs for that affinity. That's equity. But but in the beginning, you said the definition of equity was to make sure that everybody had equal access to the resources and tools. That's equality. Oh, that's equality. Everybody has. But equity is not equality, obviously. <laughs> equity is not equality. And even more so, equity is a system. Equity is a system. Like, like a you know, everyone that's uh, tuning in here, you don't have a right to equity. Let me say that again. You do not have the right to equity. We live in a capitalistic country. For now. You, well, as long as I'm living here, it'll be capitalistic. (laughs) I'll tell you that. All right. We live in a capitalistic country and you know what the, yeah, go get a degree, advance yourself, read a couple books. I'm not going to do it for you. And I know it sounds cold hearted, but I don't want to pay for that. 
now we have this system, right? You have the right to equality, but not the right to equity. Mm-hmm. Now in the workplace, it's being crammed up everyone's hat. Um, we want, I know. I, hat. You can say, I'm really, I'm really say, trying not to swear here. You can say booty. How about that? Booty. I like that. It's being crammed up your booty. Um, and, and, and as soon as you have equity in the workplace, equality goes out the window. Because equity is giving people Mm. what they need to reach the same level as everyone else around them. So that's creating programs Mm. specifically targeted towards affinity groups to raise them up to the level of everyone else in the organization. And is that a good thing? I mean, I, I I consider that part of your development. And it's nice that companies will pay for that because there is a price tag that goes with that. There is a rather large price tag. Companies are being forced by their workforce to pay those price tags. It's a, it's a slippery slope. And who pays for that price tag is the consumer. People don't, I, I don't think people get or they don't understand our general consumer client, they don't understand how it's like throwing a a pebble into a pond. There are thousands of ripples on every Mm. decision you make. You put in an equity program, a program that's specifically going to target one group, your consumer is going to have to pay for that. Somebody's paying for it. It'll be the consumer. And by doing that for a quote-unquote demarginalized, as they Mm -hmm. say, facet of your organization, aren't you then creating a new demarginalized? Yeah, you're creating another thus and them. You're just moving demarginalized from one to another. Now, again, I know I'm, you know, demarginalized. No, you are. You are, you are. I know, but yeah, you know, there's would be the argument. Well, no, you are marginalized. Only certain, certain ethnicities are demarginalized. Doesn't matter what the... You know, but I, but, but, but the point is by, by doing this, then you're turning your back on others. Yeah. You're turning your back on the predominant group. Right. And right. And, and I mean, just listen to the language that we're using, marginalized, demarginalized, mm. predominant grouping in groups, <clears throat> self groups. I'm like, give me a, give me a break. <laughs> when you, when you have an inclusive culture, right we will naturally start bringing other people up and managers can coach those that want to develop mm-hmm. versus, Hey, you're black. So we're going to put you in the development program. That's a waste of time and money. If that person doesn't want to grow in the company, right? But now you've got managers recommending books. There, there's, there's some accountability to it. And I think as soon as we say equity, 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 the accountability falls to the employer equality the accountability for development falls to the employee oh no we can't do that and somebody has to be responsible for their own worth in life i a and i've I've got it right how dare you i've gotta say it right we are at a point in history where right let's let us stop using this demarginalized language or marginalized in 10 more years people of color will outnumber caucasians I'm hoping in 10 more years, we restructure socially how we look at affinities in the workplace. 
well, that's yeah, that's pipe dream. And if we keep using that term demarginalized, we're giving a crutch, aren't we? For, Thank you. For like some, the glass ceiling? Yeah. For some segments, now not all folks that are in that quote-unquote, no. th- that quote-unquote demarginalized uh, group are going to feel that way because there are still, you know, but others will be like, no, I'm demarginalized. What do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm here because, because the society put me here. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't you yeah. think you ought to try to get out of it? No, there's nothing I can do. I can't help myself. It's just the way it is. Everybody, you know, everybody that I hang out with, we all feel the same way. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm very fortunate that I was in the military because when I came out of the army uh, and went into corporate America, mm-hmm. um, that was in the early 90s. Um, <laughs> early, yeah, it was a while ago. Um, all I was hearing is glass ceiling. You won't advance here. There's a glass ceiling. You won't advance it, right? It's it's the stereotype. It's the demarginalizing or the, mar- you're, you know, you're marginalized. You won't get any higher here. And I, I just, I, I was like, there is no, like, I really struggled with that whole concept of glass ceiling. Mm. I'm like, I don't see a glass ceiling. Watch me climb. I'm not going to use that as an excuse. And yeah. if the company won't promote me based on my talent and merit, then go play in a different pond. Okay. You go said find a company that will promote you and seize your value. Cause that's what it all comes down to. And, and I say that to my marginalized um, or, or right. My minority employees, if you're working for an organization that is not promoting you mm-hmm. and you have stepped into that box and said, I want development then go find another company. They're just not the company for you. And as employees, we own the market right now. There are more jobs than there are employees. Yep. So you said something about that. I want to touch on. You said, if I'm not going to be promoted based on my own merit. So there's a, there's a school of thought. <clears throat> I heard it here within the last uh, month or so from an academia. That just says it all right there. An academia from it Harvard. Does. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I believe her, uh, an academia in economics from Harvard. Oh God. So, you know what? Text me her name later. I'll harass her. Okay. Or him. Um, yeah. uh, and I heard it firsthand. I was right there. I heard, I saw the video. She said the notion of meritocracy and paper performance is not only outdated, but it's wrong. But it's wrong. And then we go back to, you know, you, you said we live in a capitalist society. And I said, for now, what is that right there? If you want to eliminate meritocracy in the yeah. workplace, that's socialism to me. That is socialism, right? So I, my, my first thought was then go to China and work. Exactly. I mean, yeah, we, merit, we, you can't get rid of meritocracy. All your sales reps would be like, I'm done working. Right? Well, especially for paper. Really how their paper performance. Yeah. I mean, what's the point of being in sales? sales what's the point? That's it. Sales what's people the point of being in sales? aren't afraid of commission only jobs. In fact, they welcome it and they say, yeah, bring it on because I'm going to go out and kick some ass, close some deals and I'm going to make a whole buttload of money. Hey, I made more. <clears throat> so I worked for Johnson and Johnson, Stryker Medical, Covidian. I've worked worked in sales for some very big players. Mm -hmm. And I made more money in sales than I did in my corporate gig, like in my, like working as, yeah, 
Yeah, and that's all paid for performance. But most good salespeople in big corporations make more than the director of the VP of yeah. sales. Absolutely. We're motivated by money. Exactly. So you're going to take money out of the equation or money is part of our motivational scheme, but you're going to take that out of the equation. And meritocracy, if, if we didn't have meritocracy in the business world, stuff wouldn't get done. So this academic person, stay in academia. And, and that's right. I think that's the problem, right? That's a whole nother show. We could talk oh. about colleges and how they're failing our students because our academics are purely academic and they have no real world experience. No, no. And, and, and she's probably tenure. So yeah, she doesn't need paid for perform. Like they can't fire her or him. I don't know who it was, but yeah. It was her. Yeah. I don't remember her name, but, so I, I wouldn't say it over the year. I don't remember. Her I don't, uh, but, but. But yeah, so, okay, so, so now within this little talk that she gave, she, she didn't give a, she didn't give an alternative. So what are, yeah. what, what are they saying? I mean, what's, well, what's, she doesn't have to, she's academia. Wow. I'm really spanking academia. I am good. an adjunct faculty at a handful of colleges, including one you mentioned. Oh, well, you won't be oh. for long. I'm right, seriously. <laughs> They're going to be like, dear Loran, <laughs> we thank are, you for your time and service. We're huge fans nice of the Well-Rounded Leaders podcast. And uh, no. <laughs> you insulted. Yeah. And, and like I said, yeah, right colleges were doing a disservice, especially to our business students, because the majority of full-time faculty have never worked in corporate. Yeah. It's like, it reminds me of the, uh, the movie Cocktail when uh, Tom Cruise went to business school. And uh, yeah. he was sitting there and he's getting harassed by the, the, and he lashes out at him saying, dude, you've been in here the whole time. You don't even know what goes on out there. And that's, Oh, I've got to grab that clip. Yeah. That's a, that's a great clip. And I think about it often because, you know, having run my own businesses for about 17 years or so, and then been in corporate America myself. And then I, I have a, a son that right now is getting his master's at Ohio state in business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of hear, you know, and, I'm, and you know, I've said to him a time or two, I said, well, you know what? Your teacher, your professor has not made a payroll. They, they, they have not had to deal mm -hmm. with customer service issues. They haven't had issues that are sprung. They don't know what it means to stay up at night. They mm -hmm. get to go to sleep, sleep sound on their pillow. And the biggest thing they have to worry about is grading some papers. You know, um, and I yeah. know, man, we are bashing academia. Well, you know, I think I, <laughs> right, it, all, it all comes to fruition. What, what's the topic today? I don't know. Um, but it, right from that, I, I'm a business adjunct professor. And right, and for me, it's I, I don't even use textbooks anymore. Why would you bother having your students buy a textbook when everything is online? Yeah. And real world application. But I'm the minority. Well, you know, and even in my, my industry too, I do, you know, again, leadership development and I work with clients mm -hmm. here, clients here in Northeast Florida. <laughs> and I love the fact that I'm standing up in front of my clients and their managers and their leaders, and we're talking about different topics. And I can yeah. sit there and tell a lessons learned story from, you know, and they're going, oh, I can relate to that. I deal with that all the time. And I go, and, you know, it's not, you know, in, it's not me coming from like some you know, engineering background and then trying to go do leadership development, you know, not that engineers can't also have MBAs and be business owners as well, but I'm just saying, just, just yeah. not having that perspective. But now, and I know that my, my, my clients uh, appreciate this is that I'm, I'm in there with them. I'm like, man, I've been in the trenches for 17 years and, and I know exactly what you're dealing with. And, and let me tell you how emotional intelligence, apply, uh, emotional intelligence applies directly to what you're dealing with, mm -hmm. you know? And then when they hear a story, they hear an example 
they're going, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, but that makes sense. Yeah. What what stories can can a business professor tell that are applicable um, to some sort of theory that they're trying to talk about? They, they yeah, don't have they like don't have any meritocracy and pay <clears throat> for performance. Yeah. Like, again, go 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 to China. Heck, Canada still does pay for performance and meritocracy. You have to have it. There has to be a hierarchical wall to climb. They right that structure to climb. It has to be there. Um, you take that away and you take away goals and you take yeah. away, yeah, it just, you take I away motivation. It's, yeah. You take away everything that's fundamental about business. You know what? We should just change it from business to something else. If, if you do that, you know, what, what does that do for accountability? Not that I, you know, and not that the accountability is becoming a four letter word in the workplace right now too. Yeah. Um, but, and uh, there's nothing wrong with accountability. No, and top performers want to be accountable. Oh my gosh, it 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 is it's crazy. We talk about right right with with that pay for performance. The first attack on pay for performance goes back to um, salaries. Goes back to neutralizing or or level setting salaries. So we all get paid the same. And I'm sorry, I hold a PhD. You will pay me more. Yeah. I bring a bunch more to the table. It's real simple. When I had my businesses, the hourly employees were over time were conditioned, not I'm, I'm generalizing, but the vast majority of them were conditioned mm -hmm. to behave a certain way. The installers that I had that were paid by a production Metric, mm -hmm. metric behaved a different way. Yeah. You want to drive behavior. You want to, it, you, it, it, you can do that through the pocketbook. And if this paper performance or meritocracy continues to gain, you know, momentum, which again, not too many people, some people are probably listening to this going, what? That's, that's actually a thing, but let's just say it continues to gain momentum you're, you're chained, you know, that's just one more thing that business owners are going to be saddled with. And corporations can absorb it. Small business owners, like anything else, like mm -hmm. the diversity, equity, inclusion, like anything else, the ramifications of that going wrong are much more impactful for small, small business. They take it on the chin. They, they take it on the chin and I'll pay for performance is critical in small business. Mm. I, look, I had 20 consultants working for me and their their salary was based on the gigs they brought in. That's called paper performance. Yeah. And That's... and yeah, otherwise I otherwise I yeah. Well, I'd I be sitting in a paper box. <laughs> I think about it when I was in college and I used to work uh waiting tables at Fridays. And one particular mm -hmm. one particular manager wanted to do tip pool. And I'm like, no, we're not doing tip pool. No, 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 that, that is ridiculous. I, I make sure my customers are happy. I'm humping. I don't take breaks. I yeah. don't, I don't smoke. So I don't need to go out every 15 minutes and, and, and suck on a marble light. I bust my ass for my clients. I don't, I'm not, no, I want, yeah. I want to make my money based on the merits of my labor, my efforts, my performance. Mm -hmm. And so, yep. you know, again, uh, that whole tip pool thing, it's, that's just, that's socialism right there. That's socialism right there. And you know what? At the end of the day, one of the reasons why you are a great waiter 
um, is I'm sure you tipped your bartender really well. So your drinks came up first yeah. and I'm sure you tipped your bell, you know, the person, your busser. Mm -hmm. Well, so that your tables were always bust. Like they, they, there's, there's a cycle there. There, there is a cycle there and yep. it works. Yeah, It works. Go to, go to, go to China. I'm going to pick on China. Uh, but go oh. to China. Service the service industry there. They're extremely friendly, but it is extremely slow. Mm. Um, and they don't do a very good job anticipating your needs. There's no need for to. them to. Yeah. And and then they have the class system too. So there's other issues. Um, there's other issues as Starbucks found out when they tried to open up, you know, Starbucks coffees in China back in the eighties. Um, big flop there. Mm. Just because of the class system and because of socialization. So yeah, take a step back. Look, it works here. We are in a capitalist capitalistic country, people. If you don't like that, go north to Canada or go to China, really. Uh, because the minute you take capitalism out of the United States, you take our one of our strongest skill sets away. That's why we're the greatest country in the world. Although there was, we, a, although there was, did you hear about that recent poll? No. <laughs> yeah, oh no. Did we get dinged down by who? No, 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 no. They asked um, different segments of yeah. uh, of uh, of Americans. Do you think America is the greatest country in the world? And then the second question was, do you think America is a great country? And 60 some percent of Democrats don't believe America is the greatest country in the world. Shame on them. Um, and I, I, you can look it up. It actually, really, this just came out within the last two days. So it's probably, right. it's probably fresh, but they, there's more statistical data that, that was analyzed, um, than, uh, than what I'm given, but that was just, anyways, we don't want to turn this into a political podcast. We don't want to turn this into a political <laughs> although podcast. That, although that yeah. would be fun. That would, it really fun. would be. I've got some really and then we yeah, could, strong views we could, there. We would go for the next uh, two hours. Um, so, <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this, uh, Loran. Yeah. So you coming out, you're saying, hey, inclusion first. Yeah. Okay. Are you, what kind of, are you getting some pushback or are you getting some people that are, what, what, what's been the reaction? It has been slowly accepted. So when I started this whole campaign on inclusion first, that was back in 2007, 2008, and I would get laughed out of offices. Like they would be like, you know, we're going to bring a consultant in that's going to drive our diversity numbers up. And I would always say to them, thank you, military, go for it. And I'll charge you double when you come back to me because you will come back to me. Yeah. Um, and it, right. And, and it, it, yeah. Now, today, I think organizations are starting to get that, mm -hmm. but they don't want to let go of those diversity numbers. So they're like, well, okay, build inclusion and diversity at the same time. We and I'm like, well, we can do that, but those are two very different goals. Well, they still want to be able to raise their hand and say, we're champions for diversity. That's yeah. because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, I feel. Yeah. And you know what? You're a champion for diversity of thought. That's all. That's what you're a champion of. Great. But your your profit and loss statement really will tell me whether or not you're a champion of diversity. Because yeah. those that have, right, that are really embracing that diversity of thought, their profits are higher. Yeah. Much higher. Well, because look at what diversity is. You have gender, ethnicity, 
Mm-hmm. You have generations. Generations. Personalities. Yeah. Personalities is, is a big one. You know, I mean, managing different personalities, uh, you know, yeah. it's more and more important right now for leaders to be adaptive leaders than ever. Oh, absolutely. And and we have an employee base that's now demanding it. Yep. And so it's not even really, it's not really an option, my friends. Your employees are going to demand that. And it, And if you're listening to the podcast and you've never heard the term adaptive leadership, it is a thing. It is a thing. Look it up. You know, learn about it. Um, it's 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 pretty self-explanatory. I mean, it's a being able to adapt yeah. to the, the hands that you're dealt. Not everybody's going to be dealt a dream team. Every, you know, you're going to be held the hand that you're dealt, and it's your responsibility to bring everybody together and and sail towards the company's goals and visions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and still have maintain your leadership style or characteristic or your, you know, like, yeah. Like, because I think that sometimes people get afraid. Oh, I don't want to jump into a new style of leadership. And it's, this isn't a style. This is how leadership needs to be done. Yeah. And I had somebody ask too, it's like, well, isn't being adaptive being fake? And it's not. You're still, you're still who you are, but you mm-hmm. have to be able to adapt to the different affinities, you know, that, that in different groups and different um, needs and wants and motivations that, that your workforce, you know, it's not about, them adapting to you like it used to be in the old days you know it's all about mm-hmm. it's like well he well he's the boss he's just that's the way he runs his business we have to just kind of fall in line it's come for a circ- full circle now let me ask you tony how do you see the difference between situational leadership and adaptive leadership well isn't adaptive leadership is it well, let me ask you this yeah is adaptive leadership just adapting to to your to the different people in your workforce and situations is just different the different situa- situations. I mean, is that, is it that simple? I don't know. I, oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm just throwing it out. I'm like, I would say, yeah, oh. I would say adaptive leadership probably encompasses situational leadership because mm-hmm. you have to, you know, you're, you're adapting to people, you're adapting to situations and situations to me just feels like you just have to roll with the punches and you have to lead your way out of different situations, whatever that may be, whether it's a, a little customer service issue, whether it's a sexual harassment suit, you know, I don't know, but Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to probably lead or react in both of those little su- situations the same way. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is just that simple. Maybe it is just, yeah. And I would think that adaptive leadership, you're adapting all the time mm-hmm. versus, and I'm just thinking this through with you here, uh, versus situational leadership. Like I, when I say situational leadership, I think of George Bush who was uh, like a great example, the second, a great example of a situational leader where he didn't lead until 9-11 happened. And then he led for three days. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah, no, that's a very good example. You're right. The the leadership that he had to, the leader he was on 9-10 was not the leader he was on 9-11. Mm-hmm. And then it's, yeah, a, it's where a, it certainly I think an adaptive was. leader is constantly adapting. I would yeah. like to think it is. No, it's a process. I, 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 adaptive leadership is a process and you're continually, you're t- continually adja- adapting, I think. And you're continually mm-hmm. uh, self-reflecting. Um, you're continually learning, you know, and you have to be open to, to others uh, perspectives. You know, you have to have that, that, uh, that kind of open-mindedness. You can't be a, an adaptive leader and just kind of be a narrow-minded person. 
No, you've got to be open. You have to be inclusive. There's that word. There's that word, right? So you know what? I'm I'm telling I'm having a moment here, Tony, where I'm like, I'm no longer te- I'm no longer gonna teach inclusive you know, inclusive leadership. Oh, you're gonna call teach it, it adaptive and then tuck in. Mm, good. If you write a book on adaptive leadership, then I'll get a little piece, maybe. Yeah, I'm not gonna write it. I'm not a leadership guru. I'm a DE and I okay. I'm gonna stay in my own pond here. Okay, okay. Well I was just know. thinking I could I could hire somebody to put on an adaptive leadership course and then I'll just plug in D, you know, inclusion in there and it's two birds, one stone. Yeah. No, I like it's all it. about making my job easier. And I was just looking for that pay for performance piece, you know, you know, the cap yeah. the capitalist in me. The cat I like I, I look, I'm very capitalist. Bring it. Oh. Bring it, bring it. Well, this is, this has been an incredible conversation. Um, and I usually end the podcast with a top five. And do you remember that? We talked about that in our pre-call and I know that when we were spitballing (laughs) top fives, it had to do with music, but I don't remember specifically because I didn't do a good job writing that down. My top five Broadway shows. So yes. yes. So I was on Broadway in the late 80s early 90s look at uh, you so, yeah i've got that broadway background baby and my wait, top wait, wait. is that where you adopted the last name star actually stars oh my gosh okay <laughs> just plug in for a second here but my middle name is star okay my first name is loran mm-hmm. so i was named after the navy radar system the loran okay okay my wow. dad was a cb wow okay I like and that. then i was a c-section and whatever drugs they gave my mom after I was born, she just kept talking about pretty stars. So my middle name was Star or is Star. So it's Loran Star. I love it. And then I just, yeah, then I equitized it when I went on the stage. Well, I don't blame you. I would too. And I capped it. But back to my top five. Yes, so your top, top five. Broadway shows. And I've only been to one Broadway show and it was Jersey Boys. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to put pick some old ones. So okay. I would have to say my favorite Broadway show Nope, we'll go from five up. Okay, so number five spot would have to be Les Miserables. Okay. Played Eponine. It's got to be in my top five. All right, Les Mis. My number four slot, I would have to say Jekyll and Hyde. Okay. It was on Broadway for a short period of time. It was really, really good. Uh, My third spot, of course, would be Rent. Rent. I love the music for Rent. I sing it all the time. My number two spot is Pirates of Penzance, ah. Gilbert and Sullivan. Okay. I love that musical. I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry I'm not able to interact and engage. In I know. You're I know. Like, I'm just huh. like, oh, I, but I will say this. I've heard of all of them. I have heard of all yep. of them. <laughs> and I would have to say my number one right now, because it, they shift all the time, but my number one right now is Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. That is my number one right now. Oh, and then there's Hamilton too, but... Moulin Rouge is, yeah. So Hamilton, because you just remembered it, does that mean it's number 1A or does that mean it's 6? It's Let's put Hamilton 1A. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, because I just remembered it. So, oh, Town was good too. Oh, yeah, see, I, yeah. You've never met a, perform- a play or a performance you didn't like? Um, No, I have gotten like Cats. Oh, you didn't no, like Cats? thank you. Did, no. you like, did you like Jersey Boys? Um, I did like Jersey Boys. In fact, uh, Eric Buckley, a friend of mine, um, played in the Traveling Jersey Boys. 
So see what was cool about Jersey Boys is that we saw my wife and I we're, we're, we love that. So we saw it at like a local regional theater here. Then we mm-hmm. saw it at like a, a next level up, and then we saw it and we saw it in this order too. Then we saw it in Broadway, and it was pretty cool because you could tell at each higher level. And, and when you're watching it at the lower level, you don't think anything. I'd be like, wow, you leave, you're going out. That was really good, man. That lead singer mm-hmm. was phenomenal. Sounded just like Frankie Valley. Then you go to the next one, like, wow, wow, he was even better. Wow. Yeah. And then you go to Broadway and you're like, holy, this is even better than all of them, you know? So mm-hmm. it was pretty cool to to have that experience of having seen it at multiple levels within the theater uh, ranks. Yeah. Yeah. I So the first time I saw Hamilton was on Disney Plus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And I have to say, I wish all musicals did what they did, right? Like, I'd love a musical channel where they tape the Broadway show when they come out. Yeah. So the first time I saw it was that. And then my second time I saw it, I saw it in Boston. And then the third time I saw Hamilton was in was on Broadway. And I will say the Boston cast was better than Broadway. Oh, wow. So it, I think it depends on the show, right? Like, I guess I was like, so, yeah. Huh. Wow, that's, yeah. that is interesting. You're probably right. It probably does depend on the show. Well, this has been fun. I, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I hope you had a good time. I did, Tony. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Um, and if if uh, some folks out there are listening, they want to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Uh, best way to get a hold of me is just go right to my website, which is Dr. Right, Dr. Loran, L-A-U-R-A-N, mm-hmm. star, dot com. Okay, and I'll put that in the notes too for the podcast so people can can access that and hopefully uh, hopefully you'll, you'll get some exposure out of it. Yeah, reach out to me, click whatever. All right. It's, it's all good. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. You got it. As always, thank you for listening and for telling your friends to check out the show and for rating the show five stars on Apple Podcasts. Your continued support makes it possible for me to do what I love, which is helping people be the best and become well-rounded leaders in their world. And for that, I am grateful. And until next time, be a well-rounded leader and make an impact.